morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our sixth episode of The Artful Nutmeg. We have an interesting episode today where we are looking at the video assistant referee, commonly more known as VAR or VAR. You might not know about VAR, the newest and often controversial officiating method. Don't worry, though. We have an introduction for anyone who's not familiar with the term. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? Well, you know what, Tom? I'm very happy that I'm not on the part of the state of South Dakota that is floating away at the moment because we just had a severe blizzard followed by 90 degree weather. So um, it about two hours north of us, it was like a completely different state yesterday. And now it's like underwater and it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but uh you know i'm i'm doing okay i'm i'm soaking up the rays i'm having a good old time glad glad to be where i am right now um but yeah this is a topic that um has has garnered some controversy this year and it's kind of funny uh because you know it well so this was a method that was met with a lot of backlash early on and then um, it got slowly introduced, and it actually produced one of the cleanest World Cups in history. Uh, but as time has gone on, video assistant referee uh, is is becoming a um, kind of a liability when it comes to games. Sometimes yeah. uh, game changing decisions are are made. Sometimes they're not made or ignored, and it's kind of created a bit of confusion. Um, I think a, a, a lot of coaches are like. You know, this is fine. It can be part of the game, but we want some consistency on, you know, how calls are made or, or you know, how, how things are kind of done in the moment. Uh, so, you know, just in short, it is really sort of like a separate refereeing crew uh, that looks at a whole bunch of TV screens and then they make decisions uh, based on, uh, you know, penalties or goals and, you know, that sort of thing. Red there cards. are certain things that are kept in the hands of the, uh, you know, on field referees, uh, but they do chime in under certain circumstances. And we'll kind of get into that as this episode goes. Yeah. I mean, I think one, I think VAR has been an interesting addition to the, to uh, the game that we love. Of course, you have to remember, we basically had a hundred years without it. Um, and part of the, part of the game in a big way was always the controversy of refereeing decisions. But with VAR, we've sort of taken away from that and we've sort of gone into more into the controversy of VAR decisions. It's uh, it's very interesting. So why don't we go into how VAR started, how we got there? Yeah, so just a quick history lesson. VAR was conceived in the Netherlands around the early 2010s as the Refereeing 2.0 project. The system was implemented as a trial setting uh, during the country's top football competition, the 2012-2013 Eredivisie season. After further trials, the International Football Association Board approved of implementing the system on a wider scale. 
there was a bit of conflict during the time of the, as then FIFA president, Sepp Blatter, was vociferous in his opposition to the technology. VAR may have eventually died in his trial period, that, but had Blatter kept his role as president. Um, however, a major uh, corruption scandal uh, in 2015 forced him out of office. Blatter's successor, Gianni Infantino, uh, had a much warmer reception to the technology, and a live trial started in 2016. This trial uh, happened during a United Soccer League match, or USL, here in the United States. Uh, The results from this trial led to its use during an international friendly between France and Italy later that year. The first major league, uh, major soccer league to use this technology uh, in full was the Australian A League in 2017. Cool. It was effective in identifying illegal plays, which led to the implementation in Major League Soccer in the United States that same year. The first use of that technology in an international competition outside of friendlies was the 2017 FIFA Confederations Cup. This led to FIFA utilizing VAR during the 2018 World Cup. The first European leagues to adopt the technology in 2017 were Germany's Bundesliga and Italy's Serie A, followed by Spain's La Liga in 2018. For 2019, England's Premier League and the UEFA Champions League signed on to use a technology in their respective competitions and it's been in use ever since yeah i mean it's grown and spread incredibly quickly just going back uh to something that daniel mentioned about the fifa corruption if you would like more information on that there's of course an amazing documentary on netflix all about fifa and the corruption that took place so just a quick and there but let's let's get down to how var actually works so they mm. are officials are situated into a media room where they will monitor the action on several screens during the match they're put on a three second delay so that they're given time to review footage and then communicate this to the head official on the field this team now consists of the head var and one or two assistant VARs that serve as an extra pair of eyes on identifying players or offside penalties. Now, VAR can be used in a multitude of ways, the main ones being reviewing goals, reviewing penalties, or potential penalties, and red cards. Now, there's also mistaken identity if a referee makes an incorrect booking as a result of an infraction. But there are four categories of decisions that can be reviewed. Now, of course, there's, is it a goal? Is it not a goal? To be or not to be? An attacking team commits an offense, possibly, or the ball goes out of play, or did the ball actually cross the line? Did it not cross the line? Was there an offsides in the buildup? Was there a handball at some, at some point? Actually, that's an interesting bit to go on, uh, the handball rule. Because if it hits your hand and you pass the ball to someone and they score, it's not considered a handball. But if you, the scorer, handball it, it's a handball, which really annoys me. <laughs> that is... Anyways. I did not know there was like a, uh, a difference there or, or a sort of... yeah. So 
Wait, so I mean, we have to back up because I this is this is new to me. So like, can you you can't like slap at a ball and like you know then another your an, another player kicks it. You know, does does that count? Is that like middle Middlesbrough versus Manchester United twenty twenty one? It goes the ball goes up into the air. One of their strikers tries to bring it down. He misses it with his head. It hits his hand. This is in the box as well. Hits his hand, and he squares it to his other guy, and he scores. And it was reviewed, and it was counted. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, I so I looked. I looked it up, and yeah, if it isn't, if it's not directly involved with the scoring opportunity, it is not a handball uh, or not reviewable. Oh, really? <laughs> so that is so bizarre and i it's it's a terrible rule that is a terrible rule and like yeah because i mean that clearly puts defenders at at a disadvantage you know being that you know that you know it, i guess to balance it there should be a rule that a defender should be able to handball and as long as he doesn't kick it next like clear it th- yeah <laughs> It's so dumb. I, I, it's the one, it's the one like rule that really sticks out to me that I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. That's how I, I would patch the sport. It, you should always, you should always add before you start subtracting stuff. And I think defenders yep. should be given that leeway. So uh, that's, that's what I would do if I was FIFA. Pre- I don't know if FIFA, the FIFA president has that type of, he, maybe we'll, we should, uh, <laughs> we should do that a little bit later in the show as well, how we would improve it or possibly scrap it. I, I kind of um, like that, but continuing on. So, there's, of course, we were just talking about handballs. Yep. Offenses and encroachment during penalty kicks. They've actually done some new rulings with this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, FIFA has, thanks to Emmy Martinez, that uh. players can be booked for, um, for, you know, basically making obscene gestures, um, trying to intimidate the penalty kicker. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the penalty kicker as well. So that's quite interesting. When I, th- now, I think that also, goes in line with a uh, recent-ish uh, addition to the rules um, where I think it kind of goes towards referee uh, intimidation where players yeah. would make the TV sign uh, to kind of like implore a referee to uh, review a play. Yeah. Yeah, and there's has recent news. Uh, has happened, mm-hmm. such as uh, Eddie Robertson, a Liverpool player, elbowing a linesman in the jaw. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> cra- crazy. So there, there are these rules that have been put in place to make sure that we're, that, you know, the game is going to be played fairly. Now, there's, of course, the direct red card. Mm-hmm. So... Denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity, serious foul play, violent conduct like biting, I'm looking at you, sores, yeah. spitting, using offensive, insulting, abusive language or gestures. All straight red cards are subject to review. And this also is an interesting part that, you know, receiving a yellow card, VAR has the power to upgrade it to a red card. It's mm-hmm. actually my favorite. Uh, 
my favorite like hand hand gestures that the referee does where he comes out and he does sort of like the no no yeah. you can't see me but I'm doing it he's like no and then he pulls out the red card <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like oh my god that's that's my favorite one for sure but um I then guess, of course oh, there's sorry about go that ahead. oh um you were going to talk about mistaken identity is that the next one yes yeah Yes, so of course, mistaken identity in awarding a red or a yellow card if it was given to the wrong player that was involved in it, which is kind of interesting because um, Spellini, who Spellini, Spellinelli, uh, the interim Tottenham coach currently during their who, which obviously a team in England, there was a bit of a scrap between his coaches and Brighton's manager and Brighton's manager's coaches where Spillini was not involved at all. And he received a straight red card and I have not seen anything since to see if it's being taken away. Oh, wow. So it's interesting, but uh, Daniel, would you like to take us through where we are in the state of VAR? Well, actually, kind of before going into that, uh, just as you know, kind of additional details, it's sort of like what happens when a VR decision is handed down. Uh, so yeah. the steps uh, to using VAR goes that when an infraction occurs, the referee informs VAR of the incident or VAR recommends that the incident should be reviewed. When this happens, the referee will point to their earbud and hold up their arm, signaling that deliberation is happening. If video footage shows that a review should happen, the referee uh, will make a rectangular outline with their arms to signify to players, coaches, and the spectators that the play will be reviewed. At this point, the referee will exit the pitch and go to a video board outside the bounds of play, and the referee will make the decision from there. At this point, the referee can decide if their initial decision stands or if they have decided uh, to reverse the decision because of the uh, video review. Now, there was... Oh, man, I know Mexico was involved, but I, I, I don't specifically remember the competition, but it just kind of came to me. But a coach actually received a red card and was ejected from the game um, because Mexico's coach went over to the referee as he was reviewing and started like talking to him he was like pointing out on the video board like what was going on and then suddenly the other coach like starts getting involved it's like hey what are you doing like you know kind of a crazy thing um but it was really funny because uh yeah the the referee basically kind of you know like you said kind of gave him gave him like the no and straight red and booted him but yeah it's really funny when the when the service was first kind of being used i don't think a lot of people were really privy to uh decorum when it comes to video review no so and i i mean gosh when you talk about like central and south american uh footy like the the type of um i I won't say the certain word but you know kind of the the shenanigans that that happen um are for sure wild so yeah that no that was kind of like a, a clear example that came to or that came to me about uh w- w- what the early days of var were like yeah i mean you still kind of see it now i remember 
in um, the, what is it, the FA Cup, Manchester United versus Fulham, mm-hmm. while the coach was, or while the referee was going over to view a handball incident, uh, the Fulham coach went over and kind of like kicked a water bottle in his direction. Yeah. Towards the v- little VAR booth and immediately just boom, red card, get out of here. Um, so, I mean, we've had it for about a third number of years now, but still coaches, you know, coaches, players still don't seem to get past those, uh, those reflexes of theirs of how they respond to certain things. Yeah. Knowing that it's all filmed and being reviewed. For sure. And yeah, like you were saying, kind of moving on to the state of VAR, uh, it's it's really interesting. Looking back on the 2018 World Cup, officials reviewed the data and confirmed that it was the cleanest World Cup since 1986. There were no red cards issued in the first 11 games, and throughout the whole tournament, only four players were sent off due to serious infractions. That number hadn't been seen since the 1978 tournament. What's interesting to note is that 29 penalty kicks were awarded and 22 were converted into goals that beat the previous record of 17 in 1998. Talking about those 29 penalty kicks that were awarded, guess who was the uh, Golden Boot winner that uh, that year? Oh, refresh my memory, please. Oh, this would be uh, Sir Harry Kane, who, of course, scored, I think it was five or six of them from the penalty spot. Did he? Yeah, wow! He did very well that tournament, and it was in a big part towards uh, the amount of penalties that were called. And of course, England got to the semifinal, right? Semifinals, yeah, yeah. Semifinals lost to Croatia. Mm-hmm. I don't want to relive that, but yeah, yes. Going back on, so then we have in 2017 during the FIFA Confederations Cup competition in Russia. Dramatic foul went unpunished when Chile's Gonzalo Yara elbowed Germany's Timo Werner. The match referee, Milorad Mazic, was recommended by the VAR to review the infraction and even afterward decide that no penalty was warranted. Now, this is an interesting point. Usually, usually, what we see is when VAR has or a referee has made a decision and VAR asks him to go and review the footage. We gen- generally see that decision overturned. Mm-hmm. And this was something where he went, he looked and he said, no, I'm, I'm good with this. Now this, this moment, it needed three minutes to get reviewed. And ultimately Mazich decided that an obvious red card penalty only deserved a yellow card. Mm-hmm. And so, Daniel, do you want to take us into the new rules that were issued? So, like I said earlier, in 2019, UEFA issued rules that required warnings or yellow cards to be given to players who made excessive TV screen hand gestures. Uh, one can assume this was because players were asking for VAR reviews uh, using by using this gesture obnoxiously. And yeah, kind of going back to the coach trying to kind of get in the referee's ear during a review, uh, they did have to kind of lay some ground rules for how, yeah, players and coaches had to conduct themselves uh, during those moments. And 
Yeah, you know, they try to keep them around 80 seconds, but, you know, there have been times, and I think you and I as DC United fans have can attest to this, uh, sometimes they go so much longer uh, than, than they're supposed to. But uh, for the most part, I would say, like, it, it, you know, it doesn't break from the game much. And I think, you know, if, if you know, again, if there was some consistency or, you know, uh, dependability when it came to those reviews, then it would be totally fine. But I think it's just sometimes there's just so much confusion uh, behind a lot of these reviews. And so, you know, even up until this year, like, it still doesn't seem like they've really figured a clean way to to conduct it you know it seems like it's a weekly thing at this point yeah. a a var controversy yeah the one thing that i i don't really like although i acknowledge that you can't really do anything to fix it because it's kind of integral part of var i hate how when a team will score a goal and now you've got to wait to they're celebrating but then we have to wait two minutes for them to check and see if it was a goal, you know, to see if anything happened. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of this tension. And then it's like, OK, yeah, they did score. We'll celebrate again. It's like, oh, my God, like, just just do it. Get on with it. But that's something that can't be changed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, yeah, r- r- even in recent times, uh, it's just been really rough. There was a particularly brutal day in uh, September 2022, uh, specifically the third with games involving Chelsea, West Ham United, Newcastle United, Ch- uh, Crystal Palace, Brentford and Leeds United, uh, where all of these games uh, had really contentious uh, VAR uh, decisions. And then most recently, uh, there was a game between Brighton and Tottenham that went uh, really wild. So recently, the Professional Game Match Officials Limited, or PGMOL, has dropped Michael Salisbury from refereeing uh, duties for uh, this next weekend's Premier League fixtures after his controversial mistake in Brighton's loss to Tottenham. Salisbury was the VAR VAR official when Stuart Atwell missed a trip on uh, Karu Mitoma in the box with the score tied at 1-1. He failed to overturn the decision and PGMOL, Pigmol, Pigmol, how did did you say that? Pigmol? Pigmol. Pigmol. PG Mole. PG Mole. Subsequently apologized and admitted uh, a mistake had been made. After the match, uh, Brighton defender Lewis Dunk said, and that is a great name, by the way, uh, there's no point in having VAR. Big Dunk. Lewis Dunk. Uh, there's no point in having VAR in the game if you're not going to make big decisions like that. That changes everything. I just don't understand it. And that's what, you know, kind of going back to what we've been saying kind of all episode is there always seems to be a a lack of consistency or dependency or or dependability on these referees to make the correct decisions or at least in a timely manner at at least. Yeah, so that would be my... My main question to you. Well, this is this is a twofer. Keep VAR or scrap VAR, right? Mm-hmm. If keep VAR, 
What would you change? It's really funny uh, because, you know, the NFL has been doing video reviews uh, for a long time now. But in in their case, I really like how they do it, where um, it is based on a coach's decision to challenge. Um, So, you know, the the way it works. Oh, nice. Being that um, a coach... Oh, do they get one challenge per half, I think? And they have a special, yeah. they have a flag that they keep. And uh, if they successfully challenge and it turns out, yes, the or the oh, the review overturns the call, uh, then it is what it is. They kind of rewind everything to what it was, or they set the new, you know, down in distance or whatever, or call a touchdown, however it is. Um and then they kind of go on from there. However, if a coach uh, fails in making a, or overturning a decision, uh, then their their team loses one of their three timeouts. So it's kind of right. like one of those things where like it is a huge decision. It's a limited decision and they have to be like really, uh, you know, prudent about it. Um, so in that case, I like that risk reward, risk reward. And I think, you know, I, gosh, reviewing every little thing um, is kind of wild. now most of the time um, when review reviews are always happening, you know, sort of what we said with, you know, kind of like the things that are covered, you know, the, this team is always looking at these screens and kind of deliberating between themselves, you know, about what's going on. And if they do want to look at something, then they will signal in to the referee about, hey, we think this should be looked at or or however. I think, you know, one way you can keep that, but I think it needs to be the referee that has to basically whistle into VAR. Uh, so I think it should be a referee's decision at at interesting to a degree um because otherwise yeah i think it it just creates a lot of confusion where it's like i can imagine if you're a referee you didn't see something happen but then you know you're getting a birdie in your ear telling you something happened then you're like okay well what's going on and then you know you have to kind of make a decision uh based on you know the video that's get that gets presented to you so i think in a way if you want to keep the spontaneity of uh, football or kind of like that type of thing, um, I think you you put it in the head referee's hands. Uh, Interesting. Uh, otherwise, you do something, you know, where uh, I would say coaches can challenge decisions. Um, it has to be, you know, kind of, I would say that has to be like an either or thing. But yeah, where it is kind of right now, I think it is like a too many cooks situation with with right. on field action. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think uh, the thing I'm I'm very mixed on this um, because part of me wants to scrap it. Yeah, you know, I remember the days before VAR, uh-huh. but. The problem is, is that now that we've had it, we're not going to forget it. So anything controversial happens, let's say they scrap it. Anything controversial happens. This is where people can say, well, I mean, if we had VAR, that would have been pulled back. And it's like, yeah, I (laughs) know. Now, for VAR, I 
I'm trying to remember when it was implemented. If it was like the summer before, I think there needs to be a whole bunch of new training for referees. I think, you know, you can keep part of what it is um, in terms of, you know, checking for handball. But the problem is, is there's no consistency with it. And I feel like that comes down to to human error, yeah. even even with video refereeing, because some refs, you know, will call a foul in the box penalty. Some will say, no, that's not, you know, um, and, you know, we're we're all standing there like that should surely be a pen. And then you see the replay and you're like, that's definitely a pen. And I feel like, yeah, there just isn't this consistency. Which also brings up the problem with, you know, if they do that, do they, are they going to review every little thing? We're going to end, it's going to end up like NFL football and we're stopping every, you know, 10 seconds, um, which I really don't want. So I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I would say scrap it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just scrap it. I, I, you know, and I, uh, I think it is a case of, of we've, we've gone too deep with it. Uh, yeah. it is such a part of things now. I, I think, yes, I, you know, I would say at minimum, they should have like a full on, um, I don't know, like a robust VAR training and maybe it already is, but like, I don't know, this has been around since it 20, be better. <laughs> yeah, it's been around since 2017. They've had, you know, six or seven years to like really nail this thing down. And it seems like every year it just gets progressively worse in a way they it started out really strong and i yeah. think that's because they had a lot of people who were really like in it like running it you know particularly with that world cup but once you start passing it down to you know kind of like all the different leagues and you know gosh you you've already if you've ever seen the uh you know football like laws you know it is it is a big beefy thing and so when you're adding in all this var stuff um that's that's super tough but yeah i don't know i you know i would love i would love to kind of like get deeper if if at a certain time we're able to kind of like uh have an interviewer or something i'd love to kind of drill into that uh kind of like those inner workings yeah i mean it's really just for me it's really just training yeah i just feel like there's so much that's missing and you're right it gets worse every year and it has such a good strong start and then um you know they they sort of became the villain mm-hmm. one of my favorite favorite lines that my roommate is gonna laugh because i always say this uh which is of course from batman which is you either you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Exactly. Which is just how VAR has turned out. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess, you know, you sort of miss those moments like we'll never have another like hand of God situation because that would just get reviewed to death. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I like that we have like two different viewpoints on on where it should go forward. Um, yeah, I th- I think That's how complex it is. It, it is very complex, but I think you simplify it by limiting 
you know, when these reviews happen or, or you know what I'm saying? Like, who makes the call yeah. on these reviews? Because if you're just saying, like, okay, head official, yeah, you guys, you know, you have offside call. Like, that's that's fine, you know, but, you know, otherwise we're just going to be in your ear for most of the match. That's so weird. Um, so I think it should be one of those things where, like, a head, the head official should have it. If they if they miss something, then it is what it is. Uh, but if they do need that second set of eyes, I think that's when they should make that call. I don't think there should be any talk coming from the VR VAR room. Um, otherwise, that's so interesting because I have a I have a different differing opinion on that idea. Um, you know, if you put that into the ref's hands, you know, obviously it puts more pressure on the ref, of course. Yeah. But doesn't it also kind of surrender their control of the game in that way? That they're they're the ones deciding whether or not True. I it mean, goes yeah, through yeah, yeah. review. Would you would you be able to like I that's a good point because would you be as as an official be able to say, Am I right about this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause yeah, you, I it would turn me around a lot. Yeah, that's that's very true, and and that that definitely makes me think twice about that. Um, because because yeah, it's a you hard know, subject. Think, but again, I would say, uh, I would almost say that sort of solidifies the point a little more because I think VAR should be only for like the most um essential situations where like it would come in handy you know what i'm saying yeah like they're they're smart enough to to say okay yeah leave offside alone i think i think there can be more to scale more done to scale it back oh my god the offside rule if we could just go into that that's a whole other episode we we do not need to measure if someone's pinky <laughs> yeah. is ahead of someone's butt, like I, we don't need it. Just, just eyeball it. Like I, I feel like it's an eye. I don't want to see the lines and the measurements. Yeah. Like it, I can live without that. Just, just give me, just give me your your best decision on that because I just, yeah, it's too much. It's it's a game that's becoming increasingly like techno centric and i find it funny because there was uh that world cup commercial for the 20 i was it 24 it was a 2014 world cup where it was like uh the players got um replaced by ai like robot oh i love that yeah that commercial and so (laughs) they make like a ronaldo a zlatan like a messi and it's the game to save the world yep exactly so you know i feel like um, it's inadvertently like becoming that the game is becoming so computerized because you even have the what is it the um, Hawkeye system or whatever it is that like covers the yeah. the goal line and like whether or not the ball has crossed it like they have an electronic sort of device that, that um, measures that, that. Very okay. that that's so simple I'm very okay with that okay okay. Yeah, I'm someone like if the ball's in the net, it's in the net. Fair enough. You know, it's in the net. Yeah. Dave Johnson shout <laughs> out. Um but for me, you know, I I draw it at I and I also kinda like it how they like look in, they look at the line, they show the ball, uh-huh. and they're like, This is where the ball is. Those are pretty cool. But when it's 
when it's like if a guy's shoulder is like farther than this guy's shoulder, uh-huh. then I'm like, oh god, okay. I'm standing at my TV with a ruler, like trying to <laughs> trying to measure this out, like <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like oh my god, it's like half a centimeter. Like come on, guys. So, you know, overall, it's really complicated. And I, you know, I think it's a system that needs to be tinkered with um, pr- productively, uh, you know, yes. rather than than scrapped. But, yeah, it definitely needs some sort of. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say overhaul, but it, there needs to be some sort of change that that gets it gets everyone on the same page, at least. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, from there, why don't we uh, go into some interesting new, 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 new stories? So, Sorry, I'm in a mood today. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, I, I and I know why you're in a mood today, because, you know, we'll we'll get into that. And I'm, I'm excited. But um, yeah, so first on the docket, uh, the U.S. Women's National Team announced their uh, Women's World Cup tune up friendly against Wales. Uh, that that's sort of the it's wild. Women's World Cup. It's like literally right next it's door. Very soon. Um, and, and that's thanks to the, uh, winter world cup for the men. It's, it's felt, I was like, it floored me a little bit. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, like literally n- next up is the women's world cup. So, um, that is six months later. Yeah. Wild. Uh, where is it this year? I've, I've, I'm totally like uh, out of the it's loop. It's not in a, it's not in a great, uh, TV viewing, uh, Although I'm interested to see because, you know, Qatar was able to do it for obviously the U.S. has a massive, uh, you know, viewing population for the sport. Mm-hmm. And so Qatar played its games at times that that suited U.S. viewers. Um, that's wow. why we were having games at I believe it was nine, twelve and three. This one's going to be a little bit more difficult. Because uh, it is in Australia. Considering we recently watched the uh, Australian Grand Prix, I did not stay up for the midnight showing. And thank goodness I didn't because I would have been going to bed at like 3.30. But um, yeah, no. It was an absolute wreck. For a early afternoon race, they had it going uh, or it was showing at midnight uh, here in Central Time in the United States. So that, that is rough. Yep. My dude, like those are, those yeah, have to be like 1am for me. Yeah. So like if, if they play them primarily at night, it would have to be like, Oh, 5am, 6am, uh, match times to watch over here in the States. So right now we are recording near 7pm and it is nearly 9 a.m. in Australia. So one thing they could do, which I don't know if they would want to, but it it could work out really well um, if they had their games in the morning. So say they play at 8 a.m. in Australia, right? Yeah. Pretty, pretty early. But let's say they play at 8 a.m. That game would be 6 p.m. for us. Oh, that's not that's not awful. Right, but but that's that's vice bad versa. For the Australians, yeah, exactly. Vice versa, 
if they played at 6 p.m. their time, it would be like 4 a.m. our time. But anyways, just some details. Uh, so the United States women's national team will play a friendly against Wales on July 9th before departing for the Women's World Cup. And an interesting tidbit about this, it is happening in the States, uh, but it's happening in San Jose uh, as a sort of nod to the planned uh, National Women's Soccer League team uh, that is yet unnamed, uh, but will be coming uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, so good to see the Bay Area Love uh, it. Getting, getting in the uh, NWSL. So that's awesome. Love it. Um, always love, always love more footy to be brought in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next up, uh, Manchester City is uh, looking very strong um, for for a Champions League yeah. finish here. Uh, they just completely plowed uh, Manchester City uh, or uh, Bayern Munich three to nothing. Um, couple of interesting storylines here. Uh, Thomas Tuchel. Uh, Brand brand new <laughs> manager for Bayern Munich, uh, getting absolutely smacked uh, in this game. Um, but you know the thing thing was, and and uh, Pep sort of admitted to this uh, in the post game press conference is that there were extended spells in that game where Bayern Munich were the better side, uh, but City's defense just proved too stout. Uh, it's really wild. Um, so Manchester City, uh, City scored in uh, the 27th minute. Great goal. Uh, but Oh, it was a great goal. Um, but in the 18 minutes between Rodri's opener and the halftime whistle, Bayern completed 74 passes to City's 32. Yep. In the final third, they led their hosts by 25 passes to eight. They turned that into two shots from outside the box. So basically... It was it was a bend but don't break type of uh, defense from City, where it was like, yeah, they can keep possession, they can come at us, but they're not going to get a sniff within the box, and they they truly didn't. It was it was really impressive. Yeah, and what was interesting about that lineup? So their back four of City, they played a back four, and they played Ake at left back, usually a center back. John Stones, always a center back. Ruben Diaz, always a center back. And right back was Akanji, who is usually a center back. They played four center backs in that back line, and it worked out really well. And yeah, the what they did was they sort of sat back. They were very okay with Bayern having possession. It was one of the few games where Man City wasn't dominating in terms mm-hmm. of possession. And they had they had Holland and Grealish that were just running running all over the place. They sort of played it was almost like a four two four the way they played. Yeah. And it yeah, I mean it was fantastic. And they had Bernardo Silva playing as a center midfielder who just like yeah, was pinging these balls to either side, and they were just coming through on the wings on them as well. So it was it was a very interesting game, one that I don't think Tucho was ready for. But we have to talk about Diot Upamecano and what yeah. was probably the worst performance by him I've ever seen. 
And and it's the thing about this guy is like even the Bundesliga has hailed him as one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, easily. And, and easily. And he's been fabulous up to this point. But um, he had just a nightmare night on top of just a Bayern team that completely lacked any sort of characteristics. Uh, a lot of the players, Alfonso Davies was basically invisible the entire game. So I forgot you know, he even played. Exactly. So, you know, um, it, 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 but a lot of the blame fell to him because yeah. he really, um, he, in a game where he did not play well, it was between the 70th and 80th minute where things completely fell apart. And he had just a really lackluster, well, starting, he had a lackluster back pass uh, that Holland had sprang up on and just nearly got it. But, you know, the keeper basically sprang to save it. But um, no, he had another, he had, uh, a lazy he was, pass at, he was responsible he was responsible for two of those goals yeah uh where he you know city was able to pounce on him and uh it was you know kind of a, a straight up yeah mauling so um yeah, yeah it Jack- was it was one of those things where like anything he did just went left nothing was going right i was i was saying like take him out just take him yeah. out he's clearly lost it for this game like this is not his game to be playing and i, I don't know how he stayed in uh you know it's it's rough so but you know uh one of the things uh you know kind of that i heard was that city is not a team that y- you can just kind of like show up against you know y- you have to go truly above and beyond against them um because if you have a bad day they will absolutely kill you um pep's just that kind of coach and his players are you know as it showed assassins jack Grealish coming in and just just shooting bullets into the box he's really on form right now he's incredible so uh him and holland well gosh this is so a Pippen and Jordan type of thing. Like both of these players just make each other look so, so good. Um, So yeah, like Holland is every attacking midfielders dream, every winger's dream. Like he's just a guy who you, you just put it in his area and he does something with it. Um, Amazing. 45 goals this season. Yeah, and and really, like we're kind of harping on this one player, but Bayern just all around had a really bad game, and Manchester City is just not a game or not a team that you can be bad against because they can park the bus and still put three on you. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, City look pretty unbeatable right now. It's and they're still going for the treble, unfortunately. So. God. April twenty sixth. I, I I have that I have that date. And Circled. I, am, <laughs> I have it. I don't know, sir. I, I I'm gonna have to take like a uh I don't know, an ambient or something and just sleep that whole day and hopefully wake up to some good news. Yeah. Um rough. But speaking of rough, we have to kind of go into um 
uh, soccer has, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know if it's, you know, because of its its worldwide, you know, sort of exposure or presence. Um, racism just finds a way to, like, be present every single year like in it. How? And how? It's it's nuts, you know, with all of the promotional stuff that, you know, MLS tries to do, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, give racism the red card. I think I think that's MLS. And I think like, you know, uh, FIFA is kick race racism out of soccer. Yeah. That kick it thing. out. Kick it out. Uh, it's it's nowhere near kicked out. And uh, unfortunately, this this weekend saw a a bad dust up. Um, so Red Bull's Dante Venzier, uh, found to have used racist language against San Jose. Uh, so the story is that San Jose striker Jeremy Ebobise, uh, alleged Red Bull's player use a racial slur early in the second half of a 1-1 draw between the two teams at Red Bull Arena. A scuffle broke out among the players and caused a lengthy delay that resulted in 21 minutes of added wow. time at the end of the match. Uh, Dante Venzier uh, released a statement apologizing for his outburst uh, and will step away from RBNY indefinitely. And this was after an MLS uh, investigation. And, you know, he he was pretty forward in coming out and saying, that's really surprising. This Um, really surprising because that's. Yeah, I don't even think uh, uh, Ebobise had had called him out specifically, but um, he did come out and say it. Um, but on top of that as well, uh, so a bunch of man, uh, Bayern Munich fans came out against uh, Deot Opomecano, uh, basically attacking him uh, in the best possible way, uh, sarcasm, uh, via the internet basically flooding his Instagram or, you know, tweets uh, about him and basically using any sort of vulgar emoji or comments Gross. that you can. And yeah, uh, Byron has had to come out, um, you know, and, and, you know, release Damn a statement it. about that. And, you know, they, that he has their support and all of that, but um, you know, it's really rough. You know, there's gotta be, some actual consequences behind the stuff that happens online because th- this is ridiculous. It happens yeah. every single year. It happens every single time a black player uh, is involved in a bad defeat. And it's, it's really disgusting. The thing is, is that we're going to, we're going to have the same conversation over yeah. and over until something concrete really happens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know, Things like the United Kingdom government has done its best, like tracking down uh, people who with those accounts and arresting them for racial abuse, you know, but there needs to be more that happens. I know that, uh, especially in places like Italy, sorry to target Italy out, but Italy has this long history of of terrible racism that actually recently happened. with a coach who was coaching against Jose Mourinho and Jose, you know, told his own fans, like, stop it. Like, don't do it. And, you know, they stopped because of course it's Jose, but it's so normal and natural for them. And we're going to see this happen over and over. And, and just to kind of go further, as I thought you were going to use an example, but you use a completely different (laughs) Particularly on Italy. Italy is real bad about this stuff. It's been happening for, 
I mean, the better part of two decades. But um, yeah, there was a time when I think the it was a Syria thing or an Italian football governance thing, but they tried doing a anti-racism oh god i forgot about that and they had the the gorilla painting and it's like man you couldn't tell how like it's just are are they are they being cheeky are they being are they that ignorant but it was one of those things where it's like how how could you not about that how could you not know how could you think that was even remotely okay but like you've clearly done no like You've yeah. done no research into what is being said to these poor fucking players. Yeah. And, you know, that's, yeah, it's just, and, uh, just ignorance. And, yeah, I mean, that, I completely forgot about that. That makes me so mad. It, it sucks. Uh, but, you know, it, it was a major story. And so, you know, it's one of those things. That is, uh, ugh. But I don't know. You got to You got to shine a light on it. I suppose it's like, exactly. you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to hear about this, but it's like you, you have to, otherwise, you know, people kind of run, run rampant with it. But yeah, uh, going back to some lighter news, soccer, soccer is coming to TV, baby. Uh, there's another, so g- the Galazzo network has launched on Paramount plus and Pluto TV, uh, which are properties of CBS and Paramount. Um, and it actually just launched, uh, to yesterday, uh, on the 12th, but, um, had a full kind of slate of programming, um, today on the 13th or no on the 12th, um, but uh, they had some. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It has so they have a morning flagship uh, show uh, called Morning Footy, and it runs yeah. live for two hours and includes hosts uh, Susanna Collins, Charlie Davies, Nico Can- uh, Nico Cantor, uh, Alexis Guerreros, and Jenny Chu. Uh, kind of a, a sterling cast of uh, kind of footy ana- uh, analysts. If if you kind of follow that uh tuned in today they had a kind of a wide-ranging uh discussion i really liked it and uh they talked you know kind of pro rel uh in the united states and i i think a lot of that is because of Wrexham, you know uh essentially getting promoted to uh, uh league two now they're part of the efl they they climbed out of uh the well they might league. they're they're oh, in a they good, might. oh they're in a good spot to do it but i don't think the season's quite over they beat uh knots county yes in a crazy game which ended with being up three to two yeah ended with a ben foster penalty save in the 96th minute and mm-hmm. ben foster who used to play for manchester united and watford and a few other teams who came out of retirement to go and play for them it yeah. was it's probably going to be like the season finale or something like that because it was storybook and i'm yeah. really sorry for cutting you off please please continue. No, <laughs> that's totally fine and and that's no, no, that's good context because you know i i look at it and i'm like that's great and like people are like see this is why like we need pro route because this is so exciting i'm like they just got out of the national league they were, you know, they're all professional teams, but like that is fifth division. And now they got to yeah. go through League Two, League One, 
championship and then hope you know hopefully like their ultimate goal should be premier league um but that is where you get into like real money and even then in league two like you know that that's it should still be fairly uh they'll be uh, fine even fine but like yeah once you get into the championship uh that's that's where it starts getting real and i don't i I know like the the celebrity bucks you know have have changed fortunes for them uh pretty significantly but man that's when you start playing with billionaires and and that gets to be rough especially in the transfer market the big the big thing about them uh if they do in fact move gain that automatic promotion because there's only one spot if they do get into that into league two that is when the english fa um they provide payments to all the teams in the top four leagues so i mean that will mean that uh the owners our celebrity the celebrity owners will not be footing the bill for everything okay yeah true that's true but still It'll get stiff and we'll see how excited uh, Ryan Reynolds gets about it uh, uh, in the in the coming years. Um, But no, to kind of going back to uh, uh, Galazzo, uh, they also have an afternoon uh, news show called Box to Box, and that is hosted by uh, Poppy Miller, who is joined uh, by Ian Paul Joy and Aaron West on kind of a rotating basis. And it's kind of like an afternoon news show. Uh, you know, like it's it. it's kind of covering stuff. And then, you know, being, you know, CBS is kind of like the uh, Syria Champions League, uh, National Women's Soccer League. And and uh, I want to say uh, the WSL. Do they do coverage of that? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, um, they do. They do. So uh, they they will start showing kind of uh, weekly like match of the week. Uh, they'll be showing uh, UEFA um, or Europa League games. And then they will also do, I think, reruns and then live like second screen viewings of championship uh, or Champions League uh, games of which they did the Chelsea uh, Real Madrid game today and basically like second screen uh you get the the whole field hard cam there is no they talk they call it the uh tactical cam but it's literally like you have the field you can see the movement of the players but you are not getting the like in depth (laughs) view of things like it's literally you're getting that that rose z experience yeah. so apparently that's Thierry Henry's favorite camera view uh, of course you know only him tactical man <laughs> yep <laughs> uh but yeah that is on Paramount Plus uh Pluto TV you can watch it for free so that's that's awesome I love you know free free access for for footy that's awesome so I think they're doing a really cool thing with that um yeah. sounds sounds brilliant yeah but you know, uh, there is so much more to come. You know, we've had some really good ideas being tossed around. Uh, just to kind of tease it, uh, next week we'll be talking about a coach who's making waves, not because of his coaching experience, uh, but mostly because of his video game experience. And I am 
very excited to kind of jump into that, but we won't go excited. into that further. Uh, we're going to leave that, you know, as a teaser. But uh, Tom, where can the fee- people find you? Well, the good people can find me on Instagram at ti ferguson ninety four, and of course on Twitter as snitch McConnell. And where can the good people find you, data wise, and find the show? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Professor SDFC and on Twitter at Daniel Six O Five Wise. You can also find the Artful Nutmeg on Twitter at the Artful Nutmeg. Same thing on Instagram. The Artful Nutmeg. Before we sign off, I want to hear your thoughts real quick. Uh, the UK and Ireland just submitted their bid uh, for the 2028 Euros. Uh, the Theater of Dreams is not part of those <laughs> plans. What do you have to say about the Glazers? Yeah, this is just another example of absolutely failed ownership. We have been gutted drained, sold for bits for the better part of 17 years. Yeah, 17, 17? Yeah, 17 yeah. years. And this, these owners have put zero dollars, zero euros, zero pounds into this club. They have... Manchester United. Manchester United. Yeah. They have taken out nearly, I think, 500 million. And the debt for the club is nearing a billion. They have not uh, fixed the stadium, which hasn't been updated since the 90s, maybe early 2000s. You know, they everything that is spent by... Manchester United has been off of its own profits. And that is, this is a great example of why, you know, they will not be hosting one of the most decorated, probably the most decorated stadium in the country. Yeah. They will not. The largest stadium in the country, isn't it? uh, I think the largest. one of them. uh, Club, the largest club. Okay. That's wild. We'll have to see where where Tottenham stadium is now and uh, soon to be man city's renovated stadium. But yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be like the pinnacle of the league and it's not going to be featured. And I know Wild. like, I, yeah, it makes no sense, but the, this is because there has been nothing put into it for, you know, two decades. And yeah, I mean, the Glazers, Sell the club full sale only. Get out of my club, please. <laughs> well, this was your moment of Zen of of Manchester United misery. And I, I just caught it on Twitter <laughs> before we recorded, but um wanted to just have you have your have your word on that. But have my spiel. anyways. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this was a really fun episode to get into. It's a yeah. uh, it's an often covered uh, topic, but like uh, I, I don't think the history of it gets talked about enough or, you know, what can be changed about it. So really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you listening and following us and supporting us. Uh, as always, remember to be well and watch more soccer. 